the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. With us right now for a first-hand report from our friends to the north from Canada, Ezra Levant from the wonderful Rebel News. They do a great job. Ezra, welcome to the Charlie Kirk Show. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. I've been a big fan of yours. You do a wonderful job covering all the insanity that's happening in Canada. What's the latest? I'm being told that there are police being deployed to try to break up the truckers. What's going on on the ground in Ottawa? Well, starting just before midnight last night, uh, hundreds of riot police, many with uh, large weapons in their hands, started going around Ottawa seizing diesel fuel, little jerry cans of diesel fuel. They made arrests and handed out hundreds of tickets too. Now, diesel fuel is not illegal. In fact, it is perfectly legal. And in Ottawa, it's very cold. So these truckers who are sleeping in their cabs or their trucks, they need the diesel fuel to run their trucks to to stay warm, to stay alive, really. Um, So without a court order, without a search warrant, these police at gunpoint literally started collecting hundreds of jerry cans to freeze out or even starve out the protesters. I say again, there has been no court order. There is no lawsuit. There is no sentence. This is not an unlawful protest. There may be the odd parking violation. Fine. So issue a ticket. If there's some honking of horns, if there's a not noise by law, issue a ticket. But to seize gasoline, diesel fuel, is just what is that other than theft? I'm sorry if the police force takes something without color of right. That's theft, but that's life under an authoritarian regime. And I hate to say it because I love Canada, born and raised here, but we're becoming more and more like a banana republic under the hands of Justin Trudeau. And you can see that when they seized the power for their lockdowns, it wasn't for public health. It was just so they could run this country in an authoritarian manner. It's very troubling. Yeah, I mean, I love Canada, too. It's it's a great place, but it seems it's really slipping in many regards. So walk us through kind of Canadian kind of constitutional structure, because, I mean, do they have like emergency use rights they could do this? I mean, I know in America, if they did that, there would be a very specific way that there could be a check and balance. They just wouldn't be allowed. What In Canada, what's the process to try to rectify that? Well, you mentioned checks and balances in, in the United States, you have a number of them. Your Supreme Court has stopped some of the worst lockdown rules. You have 50 different states which have different approaches. You've got the Ron DeSantis approach on the liberty end of the spectrum, and you have the New York approach on the other end, let's say. But in Canada, we have 10 provinces. That's our analog to your states. Unfortunately, all 10 provinces are lockdown provinces. And both at the federal government and the provincial level, Every governing party and every opposition party is in favor of the lockdowns. So there's no political debate. 
Parliament hasn't sat much, and most of these rules have been issued by public health doctors who were not elected, and they, they are suddenly issuing decrees. The media party, as I call it, is another check and balance that has failed. In Canada, more than 99% of the media are directly subsidized by Trudeau's bailouts. We're one of the few media companies that's not. Our courts have not issued a single substantive ruling against any forms of the lockdown. Our academia has been silent or cheering on the lockdowns. Colleges of physicians and surgeons have suspended doctors who've dared to speak out or issue medical exemptions. Police forces are running political errands. Like, can you ever imagine police going around grabbing jerry cans of diesel fuel, enforcing some public health order? It's just absurd. So every single knot in the net, like you can, a net still works if one or two knots breaks, it'll still catch fish. But if every single knot in the net breaks at the same time, you have a total system failure. Every single node in our Canadian establishment has failed simultaneously. And that's why we're slipping into that Venezuela-style form of government that Justin Trudeau has explicitly praised. I think you know that he's always been a fan of Castro, that he said communist China is the country he, quote, most admires because of its basic dictatorship. He said those words. I think that we almost need some outside help. I'm not talking about an invasion, of course. But maybe I'm so grateful to be on your show. We need our friends and allies around the world to shine a light of scrutiny. Normally, Canada is a happy, boring place, and we sort of like it that way. But we're not so happy these days, and we're not that boring. There's a real battle on for freedom, and, and I'm grateful for you shining a light on it. Yeah, I mean, look, this is something that Castro would do. It seems like there's a lot, there's more than one way of similarities in this case uh, with Trudeau and Castro. We, we've danced around that uh, topic for quite some time. So talk to me about kind of Canadians in general and their view of Trudeau. And, I mean, is he still popular? Is he still, I mean, it doesn't seem that way, but he calls it a fringe minority. Is that true? Well, it's funny you say that. We have a multi-party parliamentary system. So Trudeau won the last election with only 32% of the vote. So it's quite rich for him to say that anyone who criticizes him is a fringe majority when 68% of Canadians who voted didn't vote for him at all. Um, I should say that the latest polls um, show that the truckers, 32% of Canadians say they see themselves in the truckers. So if the truckers were a political party, they would immediately be at the top of the polls in Canada. Um, so th that's a bit of a political earthquake. These truckers, by the way, they weren't organized by any political party. There's no super PAC. They're really not even organized. It's sort of an organic movement. People said, I'll join, I'll join. And over the course of time, uh, probably 100,000 trucks joined. Some came and went. Some went to different parts of the country. And along the roads, Maybe a million Canadians went out to see them, to wave at them, to cheer them on. It was so much so that the Canadian province of Nova Scotia passed a health order. Again, no debate in a legislature, just issued an executive order that it is illegal to stand by the road to, cheer, to quote, support the trucker convoy. And the words support and trucker convoy are specifically named. So you can go to the side of the road to oppose the trucker convoy. You can go to the side of the road to oppose or support any other thing you want, 
But the government of Nova Scotia specifically made it illegal to support this trucker convoy. That's clearly unconstitutional. It's clearly illegal. But who's going to stop them? I mean, it's it's well, a bit this, of a madness here. Yeah, it is. And this is a really important point. And, you know, Canadians have a different culture than Americans. But I've always said the constitutional republic system is the is, is the gold standard. And, you know, in Canada, you haven't really had these kind of tensions of speech. Recently, Jordan Peterson tried to warn against a lot of this a couple of years ago, to his great credit. But in America, the idea that they would restrain you from going to a protest, we're starting to see a little bit of that here and there. But it, courts just wouldn't allow that to happen. And don't again, please excuse my lack of understanding here. But from what I understand, Canada does not have the same sort of robust First Amendment protections like we do in America. It's just there isn't a constitutional system that recognizes natural rights and separation of powers and an independent judiciary and consent to the governed. These are all characteristics that make our Constitution work and allow our civilization yeah. to succeed. Talk about how, since you don't have that, it's just basically Trudeau's candidate does whatever he wants. We do have a Constitution, and we have what's called the Charter of Rights. Ironically, it was uh, enshrined by Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, who was prime minister in the 70s and early 80s. Um, he was a big fan of Castro, vacationed with him all the time. He went to the Soviet Union, told his children Siberia is the future. So Justin Trudeau comes from his love of authoritarians, honestly. He inherited from his dad. But the thing about our Charter of Rights, which is different from your American Bill of Rights, is your First Amendment is for free speech. Your Second Amendment is the firearms. I won't try and teach you about your laws. But what's our first section of our Constitution? Is it free speech? Is it the right to own firearms? No. Section one of our Charter of Rights is the asterisk. It's the footnote. It's the caveat. It's the exception. Section one says that every right that is about to be listed can be infringed. Wow. So section two is where we get into the good stuff. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom of assembly. That's all in our Constitution. But it starts with point two. Point one is a giant loophole that says if the government thinks it's a pressing and substantial reason to limit it, that's rationally connected to some purpose, um, they can go ahead and violate your rights. So before they even list your rights in Section 2, Section 1 of our Charter of Rights says, well, maybe you can have them and maybe you can't. It's almost um, like what follows after Section 1 doesn't count. It's almost like there's, an, there's a pandemic uh, clause in our Constitution. Whenever the government calls it an emergency, they can suspend our rights. I don't want to oversimplify things, but I say again, in two years... Not a single court case brought anywhere in Canada has had a substantive victory stopping the lockdowns. And here's a quick example of how extreme the lockdowns are. The province of Quebec, wonderful place, eight and a half million people, very large province. They had curfews from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. as if it was a province of children. You could not go out after 10 p.m. You'd be arrested. Healthy people, vaccinated people even. You couldn't go out after 10 what free people accepts that? That was a, that that is completely lawful in Canada. I don't even think Cuba had those curfews. <laughs> they probably didn't. I want to explore with you the Canadian temperament and 
the psychology of a Canadian that puts up with this. Whether you think there's anything to that, because there is this kind of stereotype, a positive stereotype, that Canadians are nice and overly magnanimous and peace-seeking. and the, You've heard all of it, right? The friendly Canadian. And whether or not that kind of plays into the naivete of tyranny that allows it all of a sudden for a smug, teenager-looking Fidel Castro look-alike to govern from his lake house and keep the nice people at home because they don't quite have the muscle memory to fight against tyranny. Whereas we as Americans, kind of in our blood, we are good at it. Not all of us, by the way, but there's plenty of us that don't put up with this nonsense. And I just want to reiterate for our American listeners, this is the difference between having an American constitution and a Canadian constitution. It's not an insult to Canada. It's just a big difference. And God bless our founding fathers so long ago that saw these sort of moves that were going to happen and prevented against it. It's true. I mean, we've never had a civil war. We've never had a revolution. We've we've had a very lucky existence. And being next to America, you guys do the hard work for us. I mean, uh, frankly, I, I think we probably would have been invaded during the Cold War were it not for NORAD. So we're very lucky. Remember, Canada was founded in part by what were called United Empire Loyalists. Those were the losing side of the U.S. revolution. They just came north. So we were, by definition, sort of agreeable, more passive, less rambunctious. And that suited us fine, I guess. Trouble is, you need your government to be have a light touch. We haven't had a light touch over the last two years. And too many Canadians have obediently worn masks, bent the knee, accepted curfews. And we haven't had that same uh, check and balance system. Like I say, we don't have a Ron DeSantis up here. We don't have any difference between our conservative and yeah. liberal parties here. Um, I think, though, that these truckers have shown that there is a deeper part of Canada that wants to be free, that remembers how we were before, perhaps. And these truckers have been a physical manifestation of that. And they're not for moving. They're not wobbly. They're very blue collar. They're plain spoken. They're ethnically diverse. And people, like I say, 32% of Canadians see themselves in the truckers. It's the first resistance, the first opposition in two years. It's really incredible. There's so many points I want to explore with you in that regard. And do you see a generational divide? Do you see an urban-rural divide? Do you see that a lot of the kind of mandate Trudeau coalition is centered to Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver? Is that is that sort of divide something you see? And finally, talk about states' rights or province rights. Are the, are the provinces able to make their own decisions? In Canada, provinces have jurisdiction over health care. But the government sort of by the federal government sort of buys its way in. Um, so most of the lockdowns have happened at the hands of provincial leaders. But like I say, they're all in lockstep uh, in terms of who's with these trucker protests. I think truckers are individualist. I think in the rural parts, people are more conservative. But what's been so heartening is many truckers are new Canadians. They happen to be Sikh or indigenous also. That's, I guess, the opposite of a new Canadian. So they're, they're visible minorities. So when Trudeau denounces them as racist and sexist, it doesn't really stick because there's many Sikh truckers wearing their Sikh turbans. And for Trudeau to call them white nationalists, as he has, <laughs> it's just laughable. Like it might work against uh, a middle-aged white male conservative politician, but when a young Sikh trucker is called racist, he sort of laughs. A lot of women are against vaccine mandates. I mean, remember what these trucker protests is about. Trudeau said you cannot be a trucker crossing the border without a vaccine. Truckers 
are the, one of the most isolated jobs there is. I mean, you, you're in your cab by yourself for days on end. You, you probably sleep in your cab. So to force them to get vaxxed, the truckers who took care of the rest of us for two years, it wasn't about public health. It was about submission and compliance and obedience. And I think it was the final straw for people. And people realize that it's not really, people are tired of it in Canada. We have been too obedient for too long. Even passive, friendly, smiling Canadians have their limit. And I think it's a political earthquake here. And we haven't yet seen all of the results that will flow from it. Trudeau is trying his Castro-like crackdown. Thank God no one's been shot yet. Although there was someone who rammed a trucker protest. If it were the other way around, if a trucker had rammed someone, that would be world news. But it was a Trudeau-supporting leftist who rammed four mm-hmm. truckers. And so that's been buried. So it's been a very peaceful Canadian-style protest. But there is the flame of freedom burning. I hear the word freedom being chanted more in the last two weeks than in my entire life. I see people of all racial and religious backgrounds chanting freedom. It's actually been a moment of tremendous unity. I've never been this optimistic about the Canadian spirit. Now, whether or not that's enough to break uh, the government domination is another Mm -hmm. question. But I think Canada has rediscovered the phrase to true north, strong and free. That's wonderful. And beautiful. Rebelnews.com. Thank you so much, Ezra, for joining us. Terrific coverage as always. Everyone check it out. Rebelnews.com. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. It has been more than five months since Joe Biden disgracefully abandoned thousands of Americans and tens of thousands of our allies in Afghanistan. For most of that time, our national media has steadfastly averted its eyes from this moral stain on the presidency. While individual journalists have pressed the State Department for answers and updates, Their employers have rarely, if ever, reported on the topic. Now the liberal media outlet The Atlantic finally delivered a devastating report on Biden's catastrophic retreat from Afghanistan. George Packer oddly avoids the topic of abandoned Americans, but he makes clear the lack of empathy or purpose in Biden's actions other than indulging his vanity at the expense of American credibility. His chaotic withdrawal, Packer concludes, added moral injury to military failure. Biden isn't the only perpetrator of this moral injury. The American media disgraced itself by ignoring Biden's dishonorable abandonment of Americans and allies alike. Will other media outlets follow the example from Packer and The Atlantic and cover this story, or will they continue to carry Biden's water instead? I'm Ed Morrissey. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.